have in Christ. It is abundant. It is exciting. It is fulfilling. It's the very reason we were created, to know you and to proclaim you to others. So, Lord, I pray as we worship you today that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. We would see you as you really are, and our hearts would be transformed. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. We pray in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let me encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. We have been studying at the beginning of the new year uh, some of the key principles, some of the important experiences that we want every South person to enjoy. We've been talking about worship, we've been talking about being connected in relational uh, opportunities with one another, and we've been talking about being a servant. And we're continuing on that subject of being a servant today. So in the book of Romans, we have a, a very interesting verse that Paul gives to the church at Rome. Now, understand this, that the Apostle Paul has been dealing with the gospel. That has been the subject of the book of Romans to make sure that they are properly related to God. And then after he has emphasized that relationship, he goes to the horizontal relationship to make sure that they are properly related to one another. Take what we know about God, uh, the theology about him, the truth about him, and the gospel that connects us with God in forgiveness and eternal life. Let all of that then flow, be the basis of and the motivation of our relationship with one another. So he makes this amazing statement. He says, accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. I find that incredible. And I want to unpack that statement this morning. The ESV translation uses a slightly different English word. It uses the word welcome. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. The Greek word behind the word accept or welcome is this idea of receiving someone, but it has a prefix on it that intensifies the word. So we think of the word welcome. That's a wonderful word, isn't it? But sometimes it's not just welcome. We have to uh, put a, a descriptive word on it, an adjective on it, to make it, uh, to intensify it. So we talk about a warm welcome. In fact, if you go to someone's home and you receive a cold welcome, that's not even a welcome. But a warm welcome, that's so inviting. It, it speaks of this uh, gentle hospitality, this uh, gracious acceptance, the idea of kindness and courtesy so whether you think of the word welcome or you think of the word acceptance 
It's a wonderful word. And you think of the fact that the church ought to be a welcoming place. And yet often it's not. In fact, the church at Rome had some problems with welcoming or accepting one another. And so after dealing with doctrine, the Apostle Paul now wants to focus on this subject of welcome, accepting one another. The Bible tells us in Romans 14, jump over to chapter 14 and verse 1, you've got the very same words starting out the verse, the idea of welcome or accept him, the person who is weak in faith, whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters, matters that are non-essential. Here's one of the biggest problems I see in the church today. We have a rough time discerning from the essential and the non-essential. What may seem essential to me is not important to you. And what is vitally important to you, I could care less about. And we get into these arguments and debates. And churches split over what is essential and what isn't. There was a church, um, oh, it's been a few years ago, a couple congregations, they were rather small, and they decided that they wanted to get together. Uh, they thought that maybe unified they would be stronger than two small struggling congregations. So they had their meetings and they were talking about the details, and it looked as though everything was going to go forward with the union until they realized that they quoted the Lord's Prayer differently. Uh, one group said, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the other group said, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Now, this issue was so big that they ended up not joining together. It seemed like everything else was positive, but this kept them separated. And what's more, the newspaper got a hold of the story, and they described what had happened. And in the article, they said, one church went back to its trespasses while the other returned to their debts. <laughs> it's laughable, and it's tragic, right? I mean, really? Those are two English words coming out of the original, and they're both good words. But you see, what is not essential to you might be essential to me. And that was happening in the church at Rome. We have to understand that the early church was not the perfect church. We've said this before. Almost every church had its problems. In the churches in the region of Galatia, they were struggling over legalism and adding rules to the gospel, basically old Jewish rules, to the gospel that we are free and justified in Christ alone. The church at Philippi had problems. Paul had to write to them and say, stop grumbling and complaining. And Euodia and Syntyche, the two people who were on the staff at the church, teach them to get together, to work side by side, and stop fighting one another. And in the church at Corinth, you talk about problems. Wow. 
But one of their big problems was that they, w- they would follow different spiritual leaders. I'm of Paul. No, I'm of Apollos. You guys are following men. I'm of Christ. And they would battle with one another when everything else was the same. How tragic is that? The world looks at it and laughs. And says, if that's Christianity, well, I have no problem in rejecting that. Because that is merely foolish. So Paul says, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Accept one another. Welcome one another. So Paul establishes the fact in chapter 14 that there are disputable matters. There are matters that are in the gray area, so to speak. I like the way Warren Wiersbe puts it. He says, some activities we know are wrong because the Bible condemns them. Other activities we know are right because the Bible commands them. But when it comes to areas not clearly defined in the Scripture, we find ourselves needing some kind of guidance. And this is exactly what Paul gives us in Romans 14. Guidance for the gray areas. So, the weak here in verse 1 is not weakness of character, but weakness of faith. It appears to be Jewish believers who've come to faith in Christ, and yet they still are oversensitive, you might say, very conscientious about the former Jewish laws with respect to eating or diet, verse 2, and special days, verse 5. So diet and days, very big in uh, kosher living, uh, very big in Orthodox Jewish observance. And these people had come to Christ and they weren't quite ready to just give it up. And so because of that, you had people who were, Paul calls them, weak spiritually in that they're not yet strong enough just to Uh, leave some of the traditions that they had embraced, which were fine, but not essential. And they still saw them as essential. So Paul's admonition to them was, you've got to learn to welcome one another over these differences and accept the differences and embrace each other. Now verse 2, it says, One man's faith allows him to eat everything. Bring it on. Another man's faith, who's uh, another man whose faith is weak, that is, again, still connected to some of those old Jewish dietary laws, only eats vegetables, not because they're vegetarians, but because they're afraid of offending the law. So I suppose you have the, the Calvary Church of the Carnivores and uh, Victory Vegetable Church. Do you know churches split today over food? They do. I've heard of churches splitting over white and brown bread. You say that's ridiculous. Well, behind it all is this idea that the body is the temple of God and I should only put in it what is good and everyone knows that white bread is horrible for you. So if you put white bread into your body, you just not, must not be a very good Christian. Sounds logical. Some of you are agreeing with me. <laughs> I, I believe you're right. And churches split over it. Ridiculous. But here's the problem, verse 3. The man who has the liberty to eat anything he wants to eat 
must stop looking down with contempt on the person who doesn't have that liberty. And the one who does not eat everything must not condemn the one who does. And this is we, the way we play the game of church. If my convictions are stronger than you, then I have a tendency to condemn you because you're not very spiritual. And if somehow your convictions uh, are, are more open than mine, you say, poor, poor person, weak in faith. And you look down at them because they don't enjoy the liberty that God has purchased for us. This is a real problem. And we have some of the same issues today that split the church. I went to college in the South. First time I'd ever been in the South uh, in my entire life. I go to college. I'd been a Christian just for a couple years. And uh, I remember I was asked to speak in a Sunday school class in a church in North Carolina. And I was learning a lot of things. So in this church, as I'm talking with people, I found out that they were very much against Christians uh, swimming together. Okay? So I'm a new believer. Um, part of the youth group activities that we did is we'd go to the lake and uh, guys and gals are swimming together. Well, in the South, they call that mixed bathing. And I can remember them talking about mixed bathing. Yeah, I'm against mixed bathing. No, I'm talking about swimming. And so I didn't know what to think. You know, I grew up in a sinful church that was involved in mixed bathing, I guess. And then the same people who were criticizing mixed bathing between the Sunday school class and the worship service, uh, these were tobacco growers, and they went out and started smoking their cigars and cigarettes, which we don't do in the North. <laughs> so who's right? Maybe they're both right. Maybe they're both wrong. But I tell you this, those two churches can't get together, and there's a reason that there was a Southern Baptist Convention that broke off from the Northern Baptist Convention. There's a lot of other things connected to it, too. What a sad history, but we began to elevate the non-essentials or misunderstand the truth of Scripture and make things important that weren't important. I'll tell you what's important. Christ and His truth. And accepting everyone who embraces Jesus. That's the admonition that Paul is giving. So don't look down on those who have different convictions. Don't condemn those who do things that maybe you wouldn't do. For God has, look at the last part of verse 3, God has accepted them. You accept them because God has. Well, it's a real revelation when we realize that God blesses people who are different than us, who have different convictions than us, that he's accepted them, that they're his children. Now look at verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Now this brings us into the context of servanthood. We've been talking about that, the fact that Jesus is a servant. That's the old Testament portrait of Christ. And when we, he comes into the New Testament, he came not to be served, but to serve. And we're told, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's the mind of a servant. Be a servant. We studied 
uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4, that we are gifted to serve. This is God's expectation, that we all get involved in using our gifts to serve. But now he's saying, be careful, because in this whole thing of service, we have a tendency to try to control God's servants, and we shouldn't do that. You know, some churches are considered to be a welcoming church, and other churches are not. I wonder what your experience is at South. Now, some of you are saying, oh, I've never found a more welcoming church than South. Thankfully, you got connected with the right people. <laughs> because other people have come to this church and said, I'm never coming back again because I found no welcome whatsoever. Is it our problem, their problem? Who's right, who's wrong? That's not the issue. The issue is, by the grace of God, we better project Christ in our acceptance of others because that's the command of Holy Scripture. Disputable matters. We have a tendency to chide other servants, to criticize and condemn when what we ought to do is explain, talk about truth, and encourage one another, and then live a life of such an example before others that they'll want to serve Jesus Christ. You know, when we criticize one another, we rarely accomplish the goal that we're after. It's ineffective. When does criticism really make someone step up? But if there is genuine love and encouragement and an example for them to follow, then you've got something. So I, I think one of the great words for South in the year 2019 ought to be the word welcoming. And if South is going to be a welcoming church, it's up to you. It's up to me and it's up to you to get out of your comfort zone and to welcome others. By God's grace. I'm not talking about compromising truth. I'm talking about doing exactly what Paul told the church of Rome to do. By the way, did the church of Rome had a pro have a problem? When Paul was in prison there, he wrote uh, to the church at Philippi. And he said, I want you to know that there is no one I have to send to you like Timothy who's concerned about the interests of others because everything, everyone is living for their own interests and not the interests of Christ. That was Paul's take on the church of Rome. Jumping down to verse 7 of chapter 14, for none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And he is our master. And we are not to control his other servants. Here's the tension in a local church. There is to be leadership in a local church. Right? 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about the establishment of spiritual leaders, sometimes called elders. But there's the warning in 1 Peter 5, don't lord it over the flock. So you've got these two extremes, good leadership and this negative concept of lording it over the flock. And churches have a difficulty discerning where they are. Spiritual government in the church seems to go back and forth instead of like a pendulum, instead of staying centered. You need to pray for your leaders at South 
that we don't lose biblical leadership in the face of beginning to lord it over the flock. And so I want to encourage all of you to serve, but I'm not going to be calling you up with your name on the list and badgering you and guilt manipulating you and doing everything that a pastor could do to make you feel really bad so that you'll finally do something. Now, I'm not doing that anymore. It doesn't work. But I'm going to do this, I hope, to encourage myself and all of us to live like Jesus. Because that's exactly what Paul says after his admonition. Notice he goes from admonition to illustration. Welcome one another then, just as Christ welcomed you. How did Christ welcome you? Tenderly. Lovingly. Forgivingly. Ephesians chapter 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God has forgiven you. I want you to be imitators of God, Paul said in Ephesians 5, 1, as dearly beloved children, as his children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved you. It's the same thing we saw in Philippians chapter 2, have this mind in you, have the same attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. And now he's saying, accept one another just like Christ has accepted you. He's our pattern. He's our model. He's the template. He's the example. Trace your life around Christ. And remember in Romans 14, he accepted the other believers Therefore, verse 1, you accept them as well, warmly. I read something that shocked me. It comes from a theologian by the name of Oscar Coleman. In his study of the church at Rome, he found this. Now, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but he suspects it is. That in the early Roman church, there were divisions where people were not accepting one another. We know that's true. We just read it in Romans, right? Paul's encouraging them to start accepting one another. But Oscar Coleman said that some of the early martyrs in the Christian church, maybe including Paul and Peter, who were martyred in Rome, were done so because of jealousy and strife in the church. In other words, because the church couldn't get along, some Christians actually turned the names of other Christians into the authorities of the Roman Empire. Which means that some of the Christians that were eaten by the lions might have been put there by other Christians. Can you believe that? I don't know if that's true, but, but if it is, God help us. Because we haven't gotten much further since then. Except one another as Christ has accepted you I think Paul was afraid that maybe not severe persecution would crush the church but petty divisions within John chapter 3 talks about a man by the name of Diotrephes who loves to have the first place and the scripture says that he would he refuses 
to welcome the brethren. He'll find some reason that you don't measure up, and so you're on the outs. Wow. Jesus was criticized for several things, but he was criticized by the religious leaders, according to Luke 15 and verse 3, for welcoming sinners. Remember that? And so to prove that that was a good thing to do, Jesus told three stories. They're actually three parts of one story. He talked about a shepherd having 100 sheep, losing one and go af going after the one. Talked about a woman who had a dowry of 10 coins, lost one, searched everywhere to find the one. And talked about a father who had two sons and lost one and rejoiced when that son came back. And the whole point of those three stories is to show that God welcomes sinners. This wonderful word welcome found in Romans 15 and 14 is also used in Mark chapter 9, or at least the concept is, where the scripture says, whoever welcomes one of these little ones in my name, what's the rest of it? Welcomes me. The disciples had said, no, no, parents, stop bringing these kids to Jesus. You're bothering him. And Jesus said, let the children come. Or how about this? Same word in Romans is used in the small little book of Philemon. Where a servant, a household servant by the name of Onesimus, stole some things from Philemon. But Paul met him in Rome and led him to Christ and then sent him back to make amends and gave Philemon or Onesimus a letter to give to Philemon. And this is what Paul said. If you consider me a friend and partner, Philemon, then I want you to welcome Onesimus just like you would welcome me. Who's Onesimus? A thief, but repentant. The Apostle Paul was on a missionary journey with a young man by the name of John Mark. And he left the missionary team. And then when they went on the second missionary journey, someone said, let's take John Mark with him, with us. And Paul said, no, he's not worthy. But then in Colossians chapter 4, about 10 years later, Paul says, if John Mark comes to you, welcome him. Welcome a failure? Welcome a thief? Welcome little kids who get in the way? All of this is speaking about our ability as a church, by the grace of God, to welcome others like Christ does. Not to emphasize the non-essentials. All who bear the name of Christ should follow the example of Christ and be welcoming. How welcoming are you? I don't know how to test it. If you have some good friends who really love you and are willing to tell you the truth, ask them. Am I a welcoming person? Your response, their response may shock you. But I can tell you this, people have come to South Church and have left South Church or people who have been to South Church for a real long time and have left South Church because they thought that spirit was gone. 
I don't know if they're right, but I tell you this much. By the grace of God, we need to make sure that we're living like Christ lived and welcoming others. There's one final thing in this verse that I want you to see. There's an admonition and there's an illustration. Christ is the example. But the final thing is the reason for it all. Here's our motivation. Why should we accept others as Christ has accepted us? In order to bring praise and glory to God. You should not live unto yourself. That's Romans 14. Whether we live or die, we live to the Lord. One day, in Romans 14, we didn't go this far. One day you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he will say, have you accepted others as I have accepted you? We are to do it so that God is glorified. Now go back in Romans 15 a little bit. Look at verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor. Now being a neighbor pleaser is different than being a man pleaser. <laughs> a man pleaser is usually someone who doesn't want to follow God but just follows the trends of society. But a neighbor pleaser is one who actually is doing something for the good of their neighbor to edify and bless them spiritually, to build them up, is what verse 2 says. Now, why should we have this attitude? Verse 3, for even Christ didn't please himself. And the quotation now is taken from Psalm 69. For everything that was written or Psalm 69, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So Christ came to this world to take our sin upon himself, to die as a transgressor and a thief, to be treated like a criminal. Now, verse 4 says, everything that was written in the past in the Old Testament was written to teach us everything about Christ. And it was written to teach us to have endurance and encouragement so that through the scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you that same spirit of unity and harmony in the church among yourselves as you follow Christ so that with one heart and with one mouth you may glorify the one God. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, verse 7 comes in, welcome one another. Because welcoming one another unifies our worship. It intensifies our testimony. And it lets the world know that we who love one another love the lost. Does Lansing know that South loves them? I think Lansing may know what South is against, but do they know that we are for them? We're not approving of sin. We are seeking the sinner because that's exactly what Jesus did. Alexander White, who was a Scottish pastor, used to visit with his people, and he would often leave with a verse of Scripture and then use this quotation. Now, in Scottish lingo, uh, the word 
sweetie has to do with a hard piece of sweet candy. And so what he would do when he was leaving a house is he would give them a verse of scripture and he would say, put that under your tongue and suck it like a sweetie. <laughs> Here's a verse of scripture I want you to take into your heart and suck on it. Gain nourishment from it like it's a piece of candy. Just go enjoy it and let it nourish you and excite you. And here it is. Accept, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. And when you do this, you magnify God in the world. Did you know that Jesus is, has already welcomed you if you are a Christian? That, that's the heart of verse 7, right? Welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. And we read how he did that. He did it wholeheartedly with mercy. He forgave you of all of your sins. The scripture says in John 6, whoever comes to Christ, he will welcome them and in no wise reject them or cast them aside. But get this. 2 Peter 1.11 says, someday you will receive a rich welcome in heaven into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Be sure of this. Jesus will be there to welcome you home. And in the meantime, between the two welcomes, spend your life welcoming sinners for Jesus' sake. All who bear the name of Christ should follow his example. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is to us a great challenge and a great comfort. On the one hand, we can feel under deep conviction, and yet on the other, great relief. It seems to me, Lord, the important thing is, is our humble response to it. To confess our sin, to be honest with our failures, and to find the fresh forgiveness that you offer from your work on the cross. And then when we do, the comfort that floods our soul. Blessed is the person whose sin is forgiven. Blessed is the person whose iniquity the Lord will not count against them. Give us that blessing today and make us people who long to welcome sinners to the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.